Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome to the program. My guest today received her bachelor's degree in social work from Cal State University, Chico, in 2014 and a master's degree from Dominican University in Chicago in 2015, where she subsequently spent three years working in foster care with adolescent youth who had severe behavioral challenges. She is currently the program coordinator of Safe Safe Place and the Queer Resource Center, which she founded at Butte College in Chico, California, where she gets to work with people who are uh, victims of sexual assault, intimate, intimate partner violence, or stalking. And the important stuff, she's a proud mother to a five-year-old wiener dog and a wannabe YouTuber. Welcome, Quincy Pratt. Thank you so much. And I think you're not, you're not a wannabe YouTuber. You are a do-a-bee. You're doing it. I, I doing am it. doing it, yes. <laughs> we think we're wannabes when we don't have a bazillion followers, but if you're doing YouTube stuff, you're a YouTuber. Yes. No, so. I, I have a good handful of followers, and I, I appreciate them all so much. It's fun. It's a great medium, this social media and internet that allows everyone a chance to say whatever they want. And, you know, maybe some may argue that maybe that's not a good thing, but <laughs> yes, most part, it's a, it's a good because it gives you an outlet to, to, to do fun things and get out of your comfort zone. And to be on video Absolutely. is tough. I started a channel two years ago, did about five, mm-hmm. and then I realized it's way more difficult to stare at a camera and pretend there's people there than yes. podcasting. Yeah, but it's absolutely like in this time that we're in right now, it is absolutely saving it like my sanity. So I really appreciate the outlet. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So, well, the reason you are on the show today is because uh, you had some some life happen to you when you were eight years old. That's pretty tragic. um, That Mm -hmm. that could have been a a reason for you not to to achieve what you've achieved. Um, Mm -hmm. You could have just let it kind of define, you know, your life in sort of a negative way, but you've you've turned it around. And I want to talk about that. And I want to let you share that. It's your story. So you start where you want to start. Okay. Um, Well, I, just to give some perspective, I guess I'm at 28 years old now. And, um, my mom was murdered when I was nine. I have a brother and a sister, and they're God in their mid twenties right now. It's wild. Um, and they were we were all three, six, and nine when this happened. Um, so I, I can take you to the beginning, and I'll start with just giving a disclaimer that my Uh, memories from childhood aren't like most people because I um, don't have a lot. I I have some like movie clips, I would say, but I really don't remember my childhood in kind of a sequential way that a lot of people do. I I go back and forth and that's that's just what trauma does to the brain. It fragments it. So um, I'll do the best as I can um, in sharing some experience I had, but, um, I, Mark is my biological dad and I, I'm not really sure 
when he got out of the picture, um, most of my life I just was told that Mark, I mean, that Mike is my dad. Sorry, did I use the wrong words at first? You said Mark. So Mark, which, which Mark is my biological dad. Yes. <laughs> Mark is my biological dad. Mike is my stepdad. Um, and I was always told basically that Mike was my real dad and I didn't like really know that there was someone else in there. Um, I don't, I don't know when that I was told that, but it was just in my head one day. Apparently that's how my memory works. Um, and Mike was not a good guy, uh, not a good guy at all. So most of my childhood is just memories of, of darkness and trauma. And, um, I was the oldest child and, um, just a lot of abuse, both verbal, but, um, a lot of physical, um, abuse. And there was at least two accounts where I thought I was going to die. There was one point where he, um, suffocated me until the point I lost consciousness. And I, at that point, I was probably six or seven years old. Did um, he, did he, was it ever good when, I mean, when he came into the picture or did it start off just horrible? I can't remember any good times. The only, I have one good memory of my childhood and it was when we were back in Fall River and um, my mom and I were cleaning the house. We had Dixie Chicks, Earl had to die or Earl's got to die blasting on the radio, the classic cleaning anthem. the house. And that was like one of the good memories I remember. It, but he wasn't there. So that was why it was a good memory. Right. Um, so there, there was times I, we bounced around neighborhoods a little bit. Um, when it got really bad, the worst, like when, when he tried killing me the first time, uh, we were in Redding and Anderson. We kind of popped around there, which is our um, towns in Northern California. And I, I reported things to my school teachers. I even remember there was one point that a social worker came and knocked on my door. I remember being hurried upstairs. Um, my mom was there and she shut the door and made me like, say I was gonna lie and say that nothing happened. Um, so I had to go and say I was a liar and that um, I just made everything up. So, because they were saying that, um, you don't want your dad arrested right now, do you? My mom was saying that to me. Um, you're basically ruining the family if you do this. So, um, and again, I was- You were how old at this time? I was probably between, I might've been in kindergarten or first grade at that time that is a lot to put on a little kid yeah wow so and but but when I'm saying these memories it was like looking back I always think I was a teenager just because of the responsibilities I always had but it was like no you were you were nine when everything ended so when things were really bad I was between five and eight those memories that I actually um hold so yeah, there, there was that experience. Um, and I just remember there, there were times where we would be like staying in hotels or just, I felt like we were driving around um, in our car for days. And I don't know if we were actually running from someone because there were 
Um, definitely drugs involved. I know that my Mike was making me smoke weed with him between the ages of shoot six and nine, maybe. Wow, um, I'm nine. So yeah. so generous. Yes, so so nice. Um, so I know there was there were drugs involved, and so I don't know if we were homeless or we were running from someone i now was it all of you running or just you and your mom and your siblings no it was it was all of us in the car so all of us just days and days in a car driving i don't know why um and i remember those those nights because he would roll the windows down and it would be so freezing cold and we wouldn't have any blankets or anything so we were just miserable driving around um we there would be some times where we would stay in hotels so honestly i don't know what the hell was going on but but those were some kind of flashbacks i have um and i think it got a little better when we moved back to fall river um next to my grandparents so there were two trailers right next to each other and we moved in right next to my grandparents and this was when I was in second grade, so maybe seven years old. And um, it was, for the first time, I felt a little bit secure because I knew my grandparents wouldn't let anything happen to us. And and they were, there was literally just one little fence apart from us. So, so I, I felt better, but the abuse definitely didn't stop. Um, if anything, it was just a little bit more hidden. Um, and there would definitely be times where I remember we had to close all the blinds and be really quiet because someone was coming. I don't know if, again, that was like a someone wanting their money for the weed or my grandma coming over to check on us. I don't, I don't know, but um, yeah. So, so when I was about nine, I just, so my birthday's in August. So I think I, just turned nine years old and there was a night that the abuse was the worst and it actually turned on my mom um i just remember her him picking my mom up by her neck and like choke slamming her down and after that the next day there was a point in time where we were able to flee from the house and it's all kind of a blur to me but i just remember like all of a sudden we were at my uncle's house and my mom just said, we are going to be here for a couple days. Um, but we're safe now. And I, I believe that I, I, for the first time I felt like I was free to play and just be a kid. And, um, we weren't, the only weird thing is that we weren't able to go in the front yard because we didn't want him to see us. Fall River is a terribly small town um and there's one main road and that's uh the house was on that main road so we couldn't like go outside or play or anything because we were in hiding i didn't really understand at that point um but that's what we were doing and so we were there for maybe two or three days it could have been a week it could have been a month i don't really know but that's in my head it was just a couple days and um all of a sudden we were swooped up by my grandparents taken back to their trailer my grandpa 
um, had a loaded shotgun and was like staring at the door in case anyone came. And I was like, I did not understand what was going on. And it wasn't until the next day where we learned that um, Mike had gone into the grocery store, basically across the street from where we were staying. And um, that's where my mom worked and he uh, shot her. And um, he shot another guy who was trying to call 911, um, but he went into the back office and uh, murdered her um, right there in the middle of our only grocery store in town. Um, so that's why, so afterwards he, he was able to flee. And so that's why my grandpa kind of was, was protecting us with a shotgun and makes sense. Right. Yeah. He didn't so, know he was coming after you guys too. Exactly. Yeah. So it turned out he was fleeing towards McLeod or Mount Shasta area and the, um, they were able to catch him and now he's, he's still in prison and he was in San Quentin. I think he's in like Sonoma or something. Uh, I don't know where he is, but he's, he's still in the Northern California area, um, in prison. And what, uh, what happened? I mean, did, what kind of sentence did he get? Um, he, he did get life. Um, I checked the other day. I don't know why I was curious. And, uh, he is up for something I've never heard of called elder parole. So I don't know what that looks like, but I know in the next couple of years, um, it might be 2025, I'm not sure, but he will be up for elder parole and um, we'll just have to see what happens. I don't, I don't know. Have you had any contact with him since then? So he did um, send us a letter. Um, he, so his dad, we reconnected with probably 2009. Um, and he brought us a letter that, that Mike had written. And it was basically this really long letter apologizing to my brother, Michael, who um, was, was definitely like Mike's pride and joy um, because he's a, he's a boy. There was definitely some uh, patriarchal crap going on there. So, uh, because he was a boy and like his firstborn, so he has a really good attachment to him, but my brother's amazing. So like everyone should love him. Um, so he wrote a really long letter to my brother saying he was sorry and, um, kind of how proud he is of my brother. And then to me at like, I maybe got a paragraph and I, I couldn't even listen to it because it was just, so disingenuous and didn't take accountability for any of the trauma that he he had put on to me but at this point i mean i don't really you were the, you were the step kid you know right yeah yeah kind of a classic step child uh-huh situation absolutely yeah wow yeah. um so so you so that's so in terms of communication that's that's all you've had since like there's no any like remorse from his point not not that i would say no um again i didn't really listen to the letter wholeheartedly um so i i'm not sure i don't even know where it is my grandma might have it but yeah i didn't pay much attention but to me i didn't pay attention because it didn't sound like he was apologizing really for everything or, or that he maybe even knew everything that he did. 
like he had to have known obviously he was doing it but yeah. i don't know he probably maybe just didn't care that's mine that's mind-blowing mm-hmm. and that's that's part of the story i didn't know anything about like mm-hmm. I, told you earlier, I had a high very high level of you know kind of how it all transpired but so so after this uh what what tell me about your relationship with your you know your biological father my brother what happened with did it did it um, get better so so um so after my mom was murdered we <laughs> this is this is a crazy story in itself it was maybe two or three days later i went back to soccer practice because i i i was just like i just need to keep doing kid things keep doing normal do normal. And I came back and I was in excruciating pain and I ended up have like my appendix were about to erupt. And so I had to go into emergency surgery to have a appendectomy and, um, had my appendix removed and came back. And then maybe two days after that was my mom's funeral. And so I know um, that Mark came up for that. And I remember like the, just this one snapshot of him standing by a tree and glasses. And someone told me that uh, I think it was my aunt because my aunt was kind of um, helping me get along because I could, couldn't even stand up straight. Um, and was like, that's, that's your dad. I was like, oh, okay. And I, I think we might have like, said hi, like we didn't, we didn't interact that much. Um, honestly, I think myself and my grandparents were really scared that he was going to try and get custody of us. And that would have literally been an end to my world. Um, if after all this happened and then I was taken from my brother and sister and my grandparents, like that would have just ruined me completely. Um, so for that, I really thank him for for knowing that and seeing the value in, in that family. Um, so we, we kind of like talked here and there. And then when I was 12, I went out and um, had a visit with him in Colorado um, with one of uh, him and his ex-wife and their children. And it was, it was good. I had a really good time. Um, it was fine. And since then, uh, you know, communication would be off and on. I think there were some things in that marriage where it made it difficult to reach out to me. Um, but yeah, now we're, we're better now. He came up for my graduation in 2014 to Chico and then again, um, to Chicago. And there was one time we, like I hosted Thanksgiving in my little apartment with him, Colleen and, um, Colleen's, son and one of their friends so um it's definitely been building um up there was i went to colorado again a couple years ago so we talk um probably like once a month now um if not more so it's definitely it's definitely fine like i don't have any um qualms about it i guess it's it's a good relationship i think it's it's where i want it um I don't know what he would think. Obviously, I can't talk for him, but probably more. But for me, it's it's good. Good. Well, there's a, you know some silver lining to that, I guess, in a little way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so t- tell me about your, you know, you and your siblings. Do you, yeah. tri- do you attribute like your successes? Cause I know all three of you have just done extremely well in school and life and, and just, you know, hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Do you attribute that to just, maybe it's just, that's how you were or your grandparents or, you know, how did you turn yeah. this into such a great thing? So, so to be honest, it was, <clears throat> and the people are going to take this however they want, but I, I loved my mom. I did, but we, someone was going to be killed in that situation and it, it very well could have been me. Um, we, no one was going to get out of that situation alive. And I am so grateful that I, I had my brother and sister and that we didn't have to go in this trajectory that our life was going in because I feel like if it, if things didn't happen, like they would have happened, I most likely like would have been on drugs. I don't think I would have gone to school. I mean, I'd be in an abusive relationship myself. Like just repeating what you saw, what you experienced. Exactly. Um, So with this tragedy came an abundance of love from not only my grandparents, but the whole entire community. Like I said, Fall River and MacArthur are very tiny and the amount of community support we got was just overwhelming. Um, So Yes, this was a really horrific thing that I don't think any child should experience, but it broke the chains on on us, and we were able to just, I mean, really flourish after that. Live, live yeah. like you're supposed to. We were able to be kids, definitely. Yeah, and it sounds like the village, the village rose. Absolutely. And yes, it is a good, it is a good community of good, good souls and good people. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So we're very, I'm very like, again, it, it all played out in a tragic way, but the fact that we were in Fall River when it happened, the fact that my grandparents were right there and um, took guardianship, I mean, the, the court processed it extremely fast and um, we never, you know, were taken by social workers or anything. We were just, my grandparents were just there and took us without any questions and just did what they had to do. Sound like stellar people. I I barely knew yeah. your grandmother. Yeah. I think I knew your grandpa at all. Yeah. Yeah. My, my grandparents are pretty awesome. And it's, it's just my grandma. Now we lost my, my grandpa in 2009. And that was, no, no, no. February of 2010. Sorry. And that was, probably one of the hardest losses I've ever had. He was, he was, you know, he was, he was my guy. He was everything. That's amazing. Family can be, this is a great contrast. Family can be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Or the contrast is you were growing up, family can not be so phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, did your, did you ever feel like your mom was, I mean, not, not that she was allowing this to happen, but did you feel like she wasn't protecting you like she should as a mom? Or, or do you think she was just doing the best she could with the situation? Yeah. I think that, because, you know, so now I, I work with victims um, 
and survivors every day. And so I see the reasons why she didn't leave. There's a million reasons why she, she didn't leave. And the, when I was being hurt the most, she wasn't there, she was working or she was out. Um, so I don't know if she knew really how bad it was. Um, but there was, there were definitely reasons why, why she couldn't leave. And, um, you know, as a, a child, you didn't really get that, but yeah. So did you, when this was happening to you, did you tell her? I, I honestly, I don't, I don't remember. I just kind of, I, yeah, I, I don't remember if I actually told her all the things that would, that were happening because I think when, once the social workers came and I was told to lie about it, I, I just, you know, in my head was, well, it doesn't really matter what he's doing because no one's either going to believe me or they don't care. So why, like, why talk about it? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's mind blowing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so you went on and now do you, you're working in social work. Do you think that you were just kind of naturally led to this based on what you saw growing up or is it something you kind of just always wanted to do? No, I didn't even know social work was a thing. <laughs> I um, I went to school thinking I was going to become a nurse, and that quickly changed. Um, then I went to psychology because I thought it was cool of how the mind worked. Then I went to graphic design, and um, in the middle of all of this, I ended up um, after my grandpa passed away. It was my freshman year. Um, I ended up going to counseling because that just wrecked me. And through counseling, all this came out and I was encouraged to go to uh, volunteer at a place called Catalyst and that's our local domestic violence shelter. And I told my grandma that I wanted to do this. And she, she, one of her first responses was your grandpa's going to be rolling around in his grave because he hated domestic violence shelters because he really blamed um, the death of my mom on them because he he didn't understand, you know, why we weren't able to be let in. Um, the nearest shelter was in Reading, and and they were at capacity when we were um, in hiding, and so he he did not like that concept at all. But I I felt it in my heart that that's kind of where I needed to be, so I went ahead and. Um, did the 40 hour training. Um, after school, I would rush over there to get the training until 10 at night. And then um, after that, I, I was a volunteer and I volunteered there for a little bit, just working at the shelter and helping um, the participants, you know, get meds, get food, get whatever they needed. And then I ended up going more, um, to the restraining order side. And I loved that. I really loved being in the court and helping um, with those legal documentation. So that's actually the first time that I even heard of social work and, and discovered that it was a, a career. I just thought it was volunteer work, I guess. I didn't know you would could actually get paid for it. So uh, I, I really owe a lot to that counselor who, who encouraged me to, to go and do that. Well, the irony of it is you were an expert already and you didn't even know it. Yes. Yeah. Just because what you'd seen. And so I'm sure that that's a huge asset in mm -hmm. connecting with people because you, 
been there. You know what it's like. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't have an ounce of judgment for people who stay in those, uh, those relationships. I understand. I, I had the life experience and then through school, I, I had the formal education, which really um, has made me the professional that I am. I mean, from the outside world, you see, you hear about women staying in situations like this and it, you, you, I just, you can't get your head around it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, what, why? And I, I don't, I don't, you know, again, I don't, I've never experienced that. I've never, I've never had abusive anybody in my family that was abusive to me. So I, I don't know what that's like. Um, and I'm a man. So I, you know, typically it's not a, it's not a woman abusing a man. It's the other way around. Right. And yeah. It's definitely not a, not a, not unheard of, of course, but I can send you some articles. No, um, but there, there are literally over 50 reasons that a person would stay in. And that could be financial dependency, or it could be even like possibly what my mom was experiencing. Um, people, predators like Mike prey on the weak and they, they know how to entrap people, right? It's not, it's not, that's how it, that's how it goes. And so for her, it could have been a substance dependency and um, Mike being able to get her that those substances that she, she needed, that she felt her life um, dependent on. And if she were to leave, how would she get that? So that, that could have been a reason. I don't, I don't know though. Gotcha. So, so was she, did she like, was she like addicted to, to something? So again, I, I remember a lot of weed in there and there was times I do remember um, there was this shady doctor that we went to. And again, I was, this was when we were in Reading. So kindergarten, maybe um, we would go to, and, and that's where she would get her pills. I know she was um, addicted to, to pills too. I don't know. I think Vicodin um, okay. was her choice. Now, did you recognize that that doctor was shady when you were little, or do you, as as you look back, he was shady? As I look back, definitely. When I when I was little, I used to love going there because they had a <laughs> the smallest freaking playground. It wasn't a playground; it was one of those plastic slide things. Yeah. Like I and I loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing uh, because I was actually able to like be a kid and go down the slide. I was probably way too big for, it, but I loved it. Oh wow. Um, what kind of, you know, now that you've experienced all this and now that you're working in that world, mm-hmm. um, what kind of counsel do you have for, for people that may be in situations like that or, you know, yeah, you know, to, to not let it destroy them, but to rise like you did. And again, you had a great community around you. So maybe that's some of the counsels just, you know, get yeah. a good community around you. Yeah, you, I just would tell anyone that is currently in a relationship like this, like, you're not alone, and the abuser will do everything in their power to isolate you, um, and that is extremely common, and, um, you know, isolate you away from your family, your friends, um, but know that you, you still have people around, and even if you don't think you do, um, there's, you know, there's hotlines you can call. There's, there's shelters that you can call and just talk to someone. It doesn't mean you have to leave right now, make a safety plan and make sure you have everything in place that you're going to succeed when you leave and not end up going back to them. Um, because that's the other thing I think a lot of people don't understand is 
it takes a person on average seven times to leave their abuser before they finally leave for good. So it's not uncommon. You know, my mom could have left a couple of times and come back. I don't know. Um, but that's definitely not uncommon. Um, just like talk to someone, don't be ashamed of what you're going through. It happens to more, more people than, you know, I, I think it's one in three women and one in four or five men that, that experience abuse. So you're definitely not in this alone. Does, do these, do the victims of this, do they feel like they're responsible? Does the, or does the, does the abuser oh, yeah. manipulate to the point? And then my next question, it might be really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> other than, other than, you know, my perspective is someone that's doing this is just pure evil and they mm-hmm. have malicious intent, or is this a sickness that they don't even realize they're doing when they're trying to, when they're starting to isolate somebody? Is it conscious? I think that they know it's needed. They, so the whole, the whole thing with these abusers is that they need power and control. And if they see that they're, so if I were in this relationship and I were to go hang out with my girlfriend and I came back and I was happy and I felt more free, I felt liberated, then they would see that as me trying to get away. They would see it as a threat. And so now I need to take that person away from you. That is pure, pure evil Mm -hmm. that we see so often, unfortunately. Mm, absolutely and then, yeah. you know, of course you do because you're in it um yeah. you know the rest of us hear about it when it makes a headline yes you know, yeah. kind of like your mom's situation you know i don't know how many people knew what was going on but yeah you know, every house has a story of course oh gosh yes yeah you know no matter what, things are things are not what they seem from the street no so, and and i i i'll give a shout out to to my best friend jules because she was literally my saving grace at, at, at some points. I, the only time I would be able to get out of the house, you know, is, is to go and see Jules and maybe ride our bike. And she was, she lived just on the other side of the block and, um, yeah, she, she saved me from some really cruel days. Yeah. And that, and this is, this is, you know, how old were you at that point when you were friends Uh, with her? So she's been my best friend since second grade. I always say your bestie? Um, as soon as I, that's my bestie. As soon as I moved back to Fall River, she actually um, fought over me with another girl and she won. So <laughs> um, <laughs> prize well earned. Yes. Yes. And awesome. she, she was so excited because I was the neighbor too. So um, yeah, she thought she was just playing with, with her neighbor friend, but she was saving me. Sowing the seeds of a lifelong relationship. That's oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I could probably talk to you about this for hours, um, but I know. in the interest of time, is there anything that, that maybe you want people to know about your situation or just these situations in general that maybe I haven't asked? Um, no, yeah, I, I can talk about this forever, too. There, There are resources out there for for any gender who is experiencing this, um, there are absolutely resources and there's resources because this is such an epidemic. Um, and right now when we're all in quarantine and self-isolating, this is, I try not to think about it that much because this is probably one of the most dangerous times for someone in an abusive relationship. Um, tensions are high you can't leave. It's, it's used as a 
method to keep you in this these situations anyway because you know if you if you leave your house you're deemed kind of a villain by by humans right now um so it's it's such an extremely dangerous time for victims right now and if you have someone that you even have an inkling of suspicion that they're you know in this situation just reach out and and be a friend it it can be really frustrating seeing your your friend go in and out of these relationships but it it's just really important that you stay there and you you know let them know that you're still going to be there for them whenever they decide to leave or whenever they decide they need to someone to talk to awesome very good counsel how can people uh, find and connect with you if they have any questions or um, further. So I'm on Instagram. I am on YouTube. I can give my email. Um, yeah. yeah probably I, can put, I can put that in the show notes. Yep. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Quincy, thank you so much uh, for sharing that. I think it'll be very helpful to, to many, many people. It's, I mean, it's uh, at the very least it's enlightened me as to what happened yeah. um, because I was, I was living out in California out in Southern California when mm -hmm. I got the call from your dad's ex-wife at the time, you know, telling me what happened. Yeah. That so was kind of a, a shocker because things like that don't happen in Fall River. Yeah, I, I know. I know. So, so yeah, I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. So thank you very much. And I'll leave, I'll give you the um, phone number to the national hotline too, to put in the, the description. Yeah. Well, you can tell it. What, what is it? Um, I don't know it offhand. Oh, gotcha. I, I, I caught you off guard there. Yes. Yeah. yeah, let's do that. We'll put that in there and then uh, and we'll go from there. Okay, perfect. Right. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having me. Right. You're welcome. Thanks for being on and uh, we'll chat with you another time. Okay, sounds good. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening to the Parish to Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us.